Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, with sports betting season in full force with football here, you need a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BETUS.com, and they have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 1 800 69 BetUS. That is 800 MyBetUS. You receive 125% sign up bonus by using bonus code SST125. That's SST125. They have re-up and referral bonuses. Also, BetUS is known among America's favorite sportsbook for lots of reasons. Bet on team and player props, loads of NFL futures, UFC matches, PGA golf, live betting on most sports. The online casino has hundreds of games. The race books has all the horse tracks. They have every bet type imaginable. Follow my lead and get your phone, online, and sports betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did. BetUS. You bet. You win. You get paid. Bet U.S. In the South, it's always college football season. And the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Southern Sports Today proudly presents the Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. And hello there. How's it going? Keep flying in for Chuck Oliver today. The king getting a little bit of... A little bit of downtime, a little family time here before the Thanksgiving holiday. We hope you're going to have a great holiday as well. And uh, we will, of course, be talking college football with you through the next two hours here on the Chuck Oliver Show because while the King's away, the college football talk never stops. And in the case of college football right now, what everybody's talking about this week, of course, you've got big rivalry games, you've got important things that are going to happen that are going to affect people's coaching situations. And last night you had the latest edition of the college football playoff rankings coming out. And there's two things that come out of last night that really grabbed my attention. Everybody, I think, expected that the committee would drop Alabama down below Ohio State and they did. It really doesn't matter because just like people spend a lot of time getting worked up about, oh, how can you have Michigan ahead of Michigan State when when Michigan State beat them? Well, who cares? Because in the end, Michigan was going to play Ohio State and Michigan State was going to play Ohio State. And if one of them won and the other didn't, it would solve itself. If Ohio State beat both of them, then who would care anyway? And voila, last week, Problem solved. We don't have to worry about Michigan versus Michigan State anymore. Same thing is true here. Alabama 
whether they're two or three is irrelevant anyway. But uh, the reality is if Alabama beats Georgia, Alabama is probably going to move right past Ohio State. And it'll be Georgia in the third spot because they wouldn't set up an Alabama-Georgia rematch. So it'd probably be Alabama one, Georgia three. Who cares where they are right now? But the other part of the equation people were curious about was what was going to happen with Cincinnati. Would Cincinnati finally be the elusive Power 5, non-Power 5 team that would get that opportunity to move up into the four? Does this mean Cincinnati's in? Well, the answer is yes. Cincinnati is currently in at number four. And so you would think if they win out, they will probably be in the playoff. couple of caveats on that, though. Remember, All of this is just a TV show and a meaningless TV show. They are not bound by precedent from week to week, certainly not from year to year. But all any of us ever needed to know about how the committee operates is that back in 2014, TCU was number three in the final rankings. And after they were number three in the final rankings, they got dropped to number six. Did they lose? No, they won by 50 points. They literally won a game by 50 points, and the committee's reaction was, yeah, you're three teams worse than we thought you were last week. It was stupid, but it didn't matter because the committee can do whatever they want. And in that case, they said, what we want is we want Ohio State in the playoffs a lot more than we want TCU and Baylor in the playoffs. So we're just going to move TCU down to number six and just acknowledge that it doesn't make much sense, but that's just how we're going to do it. So keep in mind, if Cincinnati wins out, they'll probably be fine. But if, for example, Michigan beats Ohio State, now don't laugh, don't laugh. It could happen. I don't think it's going to, but you never know. Maybe this is the year the hardball breaks through. If Michigan beats Ohio State and they say, oh, but it was a close game. Oh, we're so impressed with how Michigan looked in beating Ohio State. And so Michigan moves up, but we can't move Ohio State down out of the top four. Did you did you see Ohio State play last week and how good they looked in that game with Michigan State? Uh, we just think that they're better than Cincinnati. They could absolutely still do that. They could absolutely still move somebody past the Bearcats. Do not take for granted that just because they're in the four, they're going to keep them in the four. And I think that's exactly what the committee would do. I think that in the event that Michigan pulls the upset, unless Ohio State just gets destroyed, I think we will see a repeat of what we almost had happened back in 2006. If you remember 2006, they played a great competitive game, and there were people afterwards who said, oh, it should just be Michigan and Ohio State again for the championship because, I mean, did you see how good a game that was? Nothing could be better than that, except for that's not what the BCS served up. What the BCS served up was the SEC champion Florida Gators against Ohio State, and they proceeded to take Ohio State and put them through a wood chipper. It was a total demolition. Ohio State didn't look like they belonged on the same field with Florida. Meanwhile, Michigan, who could be better than Michigan to play Ohio State? Michigan went out and got trounced in the Rose Bowl. So uh, they have had a precedent for this kind of thinking before and I think if they get the close game like they did in 2006 I think that is exactly what you'll see them look to do again but there's one other team to keep an eye on too and that is Notre Dame I think we're looking very possibly if Georgia beats Alabama I think we're looking very possibly at Notre Dame into the playoff. Uh, Notre Dame has not been on anybody's radar for a while, and the reason has been because people don't think they can move Notre Dame past Cincinnati. Cincinnati, after all, went into South Bend, beat Notre Dame. So how could you possibly say we're going to say Notre Dame is better than a team that beat them in their building? Understood. 
But once Cincinnati can get into the playoff, that opens the door for Notre Dame to get into the playoff as a one-loss team. No, they won't be a conference champion, but the ACC is out of this thing, the Pac-12 is out of this thing, and unless Oklahoma State runs the table, by the end, the Big 12 is probably out of this thing. If Michigan doesn't give them a shiny toy to play with and, and say, let's put two SEC and two Big Ten in here, then I think you would see them look at Cincinnati and say, okay, we got one semifinal. We don't think he's going to want. I think Notre Dame's got a really good chance to get there. I don't think they're necessarily going to excite people by being there, but I think they've got a really good chance to get there. We've got some interesting stuff coming these next few days. It really is going to be wild to see how this thing plays out. And if you want excitement, if you want something different, again, you're probably rooting for Cincinnati just for something different. If you want the biggest names, which is what the committee typically has shown they want, you're hoping Michigan can find a way to shock the world and you get the SEC Big Ten Challenge on the national stage, and we'd all have some fun with that. So, again, college football playoff numbers are out. Still another week of games before we get the real ones that are going to matter after the bowl and the playoffs get set next week. All right, coming up. While you have some teams that are getting ready for their bowls, you got some teams that are getting ready for coaching searches. And yesterday... Yesterday, one of the schools that has already announced they're going to have to make a coaching search got a little bit of a twist in the knife for one of the coaches on the way out. Kind of wild. We will let you hear the audio coming up here on the Chuck Oliver Show. the king of college football no matter where you go with a new southern sports today app catch the best college football conversation in the south everywhere with the sst live stream and daily podcast downloaded now at the app store and the google play store now more of the best college football talk in the country it's the chuck oliver show my father-in-law is a farmer and, and there's the old saying you reap what you sow and so i actually i mean i believe that uh you know just like everything else that yeah i mean if you so kindness, you reap kindness. If you so, you know, jackass ability, you get jackass ability. That would be the voice of Eli Drinkwitz, the coach of Missouri on 1010XL in Jacksonville yesterday. And that's him twisting the knife a little bit in the Dan Mullen back on the way of the departure there. My goodness, uh, you don't see that. Like people, people think about coaches and they think, oh, this guy or that guy, they don't like each other. And normally that's much more about the fans than it is the coaches. A lot of the coaches, even coaches at bitter rivals, uh, they have shared connections. They may have worked together on staffs before or they've got you know, friends. Those guys generally respect each other. They might not all equally like each other, but there's generally – a level of respect. Once in a while, you'll see some guys trade shots publicly, and even then, sometimes you wonder if it's almost kind of like a wrestling thing. Yeah, hey, we'll, we'll each play it up for the fans a little bit, that kind of thing. But but after somebody's been let go, especially, you do not normally see somebody say, let me, let me just give him a good kick on the way out there. But uh, Eli Drinkwitz delivering the verbal shiv to Dan Mullen yesterday. And the thing about that, too, that really stands out is that, as somebody said on the Internet yesterday, I believe it was Spencer Hall, the uh, great Spencer Hall, who you see on the SEC Network, among other things. Uh, Spencer Hall said that the saltiest trash talker in the SEC is a guy who looks like a youth pastor. And and it's true. I mean, Eli Drinkwitz is not exactly a guy that uh, you look at and you see him coming and you say, man, that guy's going to light you up. But uh, Drinkwitz, Drinkwitz has got jokes for Dan. Yikes. Uh, for Florida, 
yesterday was also an important day in the sense that this is a job that's going to be hard to fill. Uh, Florida has great resources. We all know the history there, the three national championships, the three Heisman winners. The, the talent pool is enormous to draw from. They're getting caught up on facilities. There's no reason that Florida shouldn't have the ability to hire a great football coach. But there's some things that come with that. One of them is that Scott Strickland, the athletics director, knows from history there's only going to be certain guys you can consider for this job. I think Mike Elko is a terrific football coach at Texas A&M. If I was just generically an athletic director looking to hire a football coach, I'd want to talk to Mike Elko. You can't talk to Mike Elko. Forget it. Dan Lanning at Georgia, really good defensive coordinator, ace recruiter, a guy that's going to get a head coaching job really soon. Not a chance. You can talk to Mike Elko or Dan Lanning because you have to have somebody with experience. Florida is not a starter job. Ron Zook, you say, well, Zook was a unique circumstance. You're trying to follow a legend, and and maybe he was a little over his head to begin with, and we saw at Illinois that maybe he's just not a guy who was meant to be a head coach, period. Okay, first time around, maybe you don't have to say this is not a job an assistant coach can do. But Will Muschamp was different. Will Muschamp was the guy who had already been the head coach in waiting at Texas, and you plucked him away to take your job. This was a guy who'd been viewed as the guy in waiting, ready to take over some program and do great things for several years. And he had ties to your area, ties for recruiting in the state. Everything seemed perfect, and you know how the Will Muschamp story ended in Gainesville. And after that, forget it. They have to have somebody who is a head coach to handle that job. And even with that, the last two guys were head coaches, and neither one of them ended well. And they ended poorly because of things they said as much as what they did. Jim McElwain, if he doesn't say the things that he said, the claims without being able to substantiate in any way that Florida fans were making death threats, he literally took himself out of the job with his mouth. And Dan Mullen, while the losing on the field was a big deal, Dan Mullen and how he handles things is a big part of why he wound up out of there. He might have been able to survive a rough year if he had built up more goodwill in the first place, but even when he came there, there were people who were not fans of Dan Mullen, the guy. I mean, I, I covered that program in the days where Dan Mullen was there as an assistant. He was rubbing people the wrong way even back then. So you've got to get somebody who's a head coach and knows how to be a head coach, but also has the personality to be able to handle the exposure, the attention, the pressure of the job, and not say something completely bananas like Jim McElwain did. So you've reduced your window even more. Then you've also got to have somebody who's an offensive guy, a guy who can put up points. Now, maybe you could hire a defensive coach if he has a proven track record of knowing how to hire guys who can put up points, but you can't hire somebody who is not proven to the Florida fans that he will give them an offense worth watching. Because remember, year two of Will Muschamp, they actually did pretty well, went to the Sugar Bowl. And what do you know? The fans didn't enjoy the year very much. It was like going to the dentist over and over because the offense was so bad. The defense was great. They don't want to win games 14-9. to 9. They want to score. They want to be entertained. So you got to find somebody who can handle himself as a head coach and has proven it and who can put together a high-level offense. Oh, yeah, he also needs to be a really high-end recruiter because Dan Mullen's recruiting flaws are what got him cut loose, too. So with all of those restrictions, you start looking around, there are not a lot of people who fit the profile. And one guy who might have 
is out of the mix now because James Franklin yesterday does a deal with Penn State. Ten-year deal, going to make $7.5 million per year plus incentives. The buyout is $12 million after April 2022, but James Franklin's not going anywhere, not to LSU, not to Florida, not to Southern Cal. His name had at least been brought up for all of them. Am I saying that James Franklin would have been Florida's top target? No, I have no idea where he would have fallen on their list or if he would have even showed up on their list. But again, the profile for that job is so restrictive that you just don't have many people who fit it. There's some really good coaches out there. I mean, look, I think Jeff Halfley of Boston College is a terrific coach. Somebody's going to hire him out of BC sooner rather than later, and they're going to get themselves a really good coach. I think that what Jonathan Smith is doing at Oregon State, most of you probably don't pay attention to Pac-12 football day in, day out. But if you have, you know Oregon State has no benefits at all. There are no positive resources at that school. And Jonathan Smith took over a disaster situation and rebuilt them in four years to where they're going to be a bowl team this year. That's a great accomplishment. Dude's an excellent offensive coordinator, too. If you watched him at Washington, Washington has never been the same since he left to take Oregon State, his alma mater. If somebody could hire Jonathan Smith, I think they'd be getting a really good football coach who knows how to run offense. But again, nah, not happening. Kalen DeBoer. At Fresno State, excellent offensive coach. Has he proven he's got the recruiting chops in the South? No. Does he have the recruiting ties to the South at all? No, he doesn't. Can you hire Kalen DeBoer after two years, even though he's a really good offensive coach? No. So I'm fascinated to see where they go and look because there's so many good candidates out there for a lot of jobs, but they're not good candidates for this one. And James Franklin being out of the mix already – that just continues to up the speculation about, okay, so does it mean it winds up being Billy Napier in part because Billy Napier is a good coach who showed a lot of things, uh, the only coach in the country who's got a resume that includes time with Dabo and time with Nick Saban to kind of be familiar with both ways of how you approach winning football, successful consistently over the last few years at Louisiana. I mean, he has a resume that says he could do it. What he doesn't have He doesn't necessarily have the part about being a head coach under speculation and scrutiny. Now, you look at Louisiana and you say, how many people really cover that program? The the Lafayette market is not exactly a market that's overflowing with media. He's done really well, but I don't know if he's ever had to deal with what it's going to be like when you have a press conference after a game and people want to know, why'd you make that call on fourth down? Why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? I don't know if he's had to deal with much of that kind of scrutiny. I don't know if he's ever had to deal with the idea of he's out to go get dinner and people are paying extra attention. And you know, by the time that he's walking out of the steakhouse, there's 10 people outside wanting a football sign because the word got around on social media that the new coach was at so-and-so steakhouse. I don't know that he's ever dealt with that. And I don't know how, if you're Scott Strickland or another AD, you convince yourself for sure that he's ready to deal with that kind of speculation and attention and scrutiny that comes with being a head coach. But that that window is getting tighter, and for Franklin to already be out of the mix, later on headlines will give you another coach that I don't think would have been a factor for Florida, but another coach who at least will get mentioned in speculation around the South anytime a job comes open, and, and he's out of the mix too, it would appear now. Things are going to get mighty interesting this next week. Once we get the regular season over with and people can start interviewing for real and some dominoes start falling, it is going to be fascinating to see which of these big jobs makes a move first. Virginia Tech, 
South Carolina's got Shane Beamer coaching. Is there any chance that they're going to try and make a move for him? Are they going to try and make a move for a guy like uh, Justin Fuente's replacement coming uh, from Billy Napier? Would he take that over a job like a Florida if Florida doesn't offer? Things are about to get fascinating, man. Love the coach at Carousel. Keep it right here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. Chuck Oliver show rolls on. Heath Klein filling in for Chuck today. And, of course, a great week for college football everywhere, and especially in the South. We've got some of the great rivalries that are going to be doing their thing coming up this week, and one that all of us get more of than we probably would have imagined a few years ago we would is the Egg Bowl. It's a game that gets national attention on Thanksgiving. And so we wanted to have Jake Wimberly on to talk about this because uh, Jake is living that life on a day-to-day basis, 365 days a year. So I can only imagine what this week is like for him. He joins us here on the Chuck Oliver Show from ESPN 105.9 in Jackson. Jake, how are you, man? Heath, happy Thanksgiving, brother. Good to talk with you. I appreciate you making the time. What uh, exactly, for those of us who've never been to one, what exactly is the lead-up to the Egg Bowl like? Because every rivalry has intensity, but this one has had some genuine animosity the last few years, some real headline moments that weren't about somebody catching a pass, just uh, crazy stuff that's happened in this game. Yeah, I think you've got to go back, and, and you've got to look at several different eras of the Egg Bowl. If you go back into the 80s, you know, there was some, some bad blood there with uh, Billy Brewer, and then, of course, you, you talk about Rocky Felker, and then you get into the Jackie Sherrill era. Uh, with Tommy Tuberville, there was some bad bad blood there. Uh, you know, you're, you're talking about some, some pregame fights and things of that nature before you ever got to even going on the field. And then you get into, you know, the Sylvester Crooms and Ed Orgeron era, not as as volatile. Uh, Dan Ball and Hugh Freeze, obviously extremely volatile. Now with Lane Kiffin and with uh, uh, Mike Leach, it seems like they kind of tempered this thing back. But, I mean, it is pound for pound as good as any, any rivalry in the country. You could certainly argue the chain of events set in motion two years ago with the uh, infamous hiked leg incident there in the uh, Ole Miss-Mississippi State game, uh, the, the simulating the dog taking a whiz and then leading to the uh, the missed extra point. Uh, the The ramifications of that are still being felt all over the place. You know, Jordan Moorhead does survive for one more game but then gets let go, but Matt Luke is now the offensive line coach at Georgia. It paves the way for the arrival of Lane Kiffin there at Ole Miss. I mean, just a moment like that, Jake. You know, when you're seeing something like that happen live, what's going through your mind? Yeah, when you see it go, you know, that particular moment go live, you, you go back to a couple years prior to that when, when DK Metcalf did the same thing in that very stadium. So Elijah Moore, you know, kind of mimicking what happened there. But, uh, you know, just the way that whole game played out and, like you said, just the, the fallout of the coaches and then where we are now, it, it has been – that is an absolute turning point in, in this rivalry that got us to where, you know, you, what you have today when you have Leach and Kiffin going at it, you know, for the second year in a row. With regards to that, a few years ago when they coached in this game, Dan Mullen, it was pretty clear, was on his way out the door. We didn't know where yet, whether it be Florida or Tennessee, but the vibe was definitely out there that, hey, Mullen's Mullen's on his way out. you got two different guys here. I haven't heard Leach's name thrown around much, but certainly Lane Kiffin's name has been in speculation. Uh, what's the vibe with regards to that? Is it any sign at all that there's been any slippage in Lane's level of attention to detail with uh, what's going on here? 
I don't think so. I mean, I think when you look at it, Lane Kiffin, I think he's dialed in on this. And, and if he continues to win, as you guys know, I mean, he's going to continue to draw attention, um, you, you know, be it warranted attention or attention that's valid or not from, from other, other schools that may be looking for a coach. So, you know, I don't think it takes any attention away from him. It will be interesting to see if he does actually entertain, you know, a couple of these jobs moving forward. As for Mike Leach's concern, you know, Mike Leach's name is not tossed around, but as you guys know, Mike has got to be he's, – he's the kind of guy that's got to be the right fit for him, and it took him forever to get into the SEC. I'm not sure that uh, Mike is, is interested in leaving where he's at currently. Yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised, frankly, if, if Leach was looking to move in, in the near future. Lane, I, I don't know that any of us really know what to expect from that guy. He's, he's full of surprises sometimes. The game itself, Jake, again, while all the accoutrements around it, the intensity of the, the distaste between the fans and so forth, game on the field hasn't always been a particularly appealing sight. But this year on paper, this could be a really great game, too. No, I think it's going to be a really fun game. I mean, you got, you know, pound for pound, the best quarterback matchup ever in the rivalry with Will Rogers and Matt Corral. You've got, you know, two, two coaches and two staffs that can, can flat out coach and get after it. You've got two defenses that have played, you know, marginal to, to above marginal football. So, I mean, I, I see a game that's probably played in the 30s. I think the total on this thing's around 61 and a half. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see that thing go over, depending on how the weather is and, and such. And, excuse me, and Starville on Thursday night. But I think it's got, you know, I think it, it's got the opportunity to be a, an extremely fun uh, an extremely entertaining football game for four quarters. Jake Wimberly is with us here on the Chuck Oliver Show. He's with ESPN 105.9 in Jackson, Mississippi. You can hear him in the afternoons there where, again, they'll be talking plenty about this matchup. Uh, the quarterbacks, you mentioned it, Rodgers has kind of been fascinating to see how he has evolved. You know, you think about at the start of last year, K.J. Costello is the guy that people are thinking is going to be Leach's guy after that LSU game, and Rodgers has kind of snuck up on us, and I guess we shouldn't be surprised because Leach has had lots of quarterbacks through the years that didn't necessarily have hype before they got the job that started to put up monster numbers, but this feels like more than a system thing. It feels like he's really found something here. No, I think he has. I mean, Will Rogers is a guy that, you know, played his high school football right here in the Jackson Metro area at Brandon High School. His dad's a coach, offensive coordinator there who coached Gardner Minshew. And there's a, there's a lot of football knowledge and, and you know, football uh, time that Will Rogers has had, uh, you know, under his belt, shall we say, in the state of Mississippi. And, you know, for Will, if you go back to when he was in high school and, and then you watched him in the Mississippi-Alabama All-Star game, always a guy that can make just about every throw, you know, in, in the book, so to speak be it a touch throw where he's got to put some zip behind the ball. And I think what has happened now is you've seen Will Rogers just basically throw up in front of your eyes. Remember last year he was tossed into the fire as a true freshman and, you know, had some lumps and had some good moments and some bad moments. But I think what we're seeing now is, is the, you know, the evolution of, of time under Mike Leach, needing reps to where, you know, you see what you see today, which is, is a remarkable last month for Will Rogers headed into to Thursday night. And then, of course, on the other side, Matt Corral's already announced that this is going to be his final season, a guy who at times this year has had his name thrown around for the Heisman. I think at this point it's probably uh, not likely he'll be in the final grouping there in New York, but he's going to get some votes for it at least. And uh, for him, what kind of close would it mean for his career there with the Rebels, at least in season, uh, to have a, a big moment here in the Egg Bowl? Oh, I think it's going to be, uh, you know, if, if, he, if Ole Miss goes out and wins this game on Thursday, then you're looking at a, a 10-win regular season finish for Ole Miss, something that hasn't happened in quite some time. And, and Matt Corral, who's had 
as good a year, you know, pound for pound as any Ole Miss quarterback ever. And you're talking about both Mannings that have come through that program. I think for them to get a win on Thursday night, if they can pull that out and to get the 10 wins and then play in a New Year's six-day bowl game, I think when you're talking about Matt Corral, he will have met every expectation uh, that was that was kind of put on his shoulders as a, as a high, high-end recruit, elite 11 quarterback coming out of high school. When you look at Mississippi State, I mean, Leach has seemingly done everything possible to undermine any shred of confidence his kickers might possibly get just by accident somehow. Uh, What do we think of that? I mean, you just wonder, in a game where both teams can score, if it does turn into a close game, are, are they capable of even trying a field goal at this point? Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, you, you got to think. I think it was the Auburn game. You got to punch out there in the second half where there was a field goal made, or maybe it was last week. But um, you get down into a situation, down versus this situation, where you have to to, to put a guy out there. I think you got to got to put somebody out there and roll the dice. Um, and I think you could see both teams do that. We haven't talked much about the defenses. I, I love what Arnett has done. I mean, that's the one thing with Leach is that if there's somebody with him that can can figure out how to play defense with the way he plays offense and, and know how to complement it, then that's where he becomes most dangerous. And last year, a lot of people looked at Arnett, but they didn't get him out of there. Uh, I, I just love the job he's done with that defense in a couple of years with them in Starkville. How does he try to go at what Lane likes to do? Because uh, obviously Lane will show you a lot of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's a multifaceted deal when you're talking about you've got a, a, a dual-threat quarterback in Matt Corral who hasn't really run the ball as much over the last three or four weeks, trying to stay healthy off that Tennessee win. So you've got to defend, you know, front to back. Mississippi State has you know, pound for pound as, as good a defensive backs that you'll find in the in the conference. So it's really just slowing down and picking your poison on this is run the football extremely well. So, you know, if I, when you're talking about the defenses in this ballgame, on the other side for Ole Miss, I think you're looking at a team that do they can they put pressure on Will Rogers? Can they put pressure, you know, from the front four to the front seven and really kind of throw off his rhythm? So it, it's really going to be interesting, I think, who gets the stops defensively in this ball. Yeah, the thing about Ole Miss is that their defense was so bad last year that it's not like it's great now, but just by virtue of it going from rancid to all right, it, it has seemed like it's been an amazing defense for a lot of the season. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they've, they've done an amazing turnaround, and you're talking about being able to use the transfer portal, the junior college system, and, again, just reps inside the you know the defensive uh, staff, shall we say. I mean, again, everybody last year not going through spring practices, especially new coaches, getting into rhythm this year. Um, you know, the Ole Miss defense, the turnaround, shall we say, has been uh, quite remarkable uh, to see inside the SEC. And it gives Lane Kiffin, again, not a not – a, not a defense that's going to live in the top half of the conference, but a defense that can, can get you you know where you need to be, which is if they win on Thursday, 10 wins. Last couple of minutes here with Jake Wimberly on the Egg Bowl, Mississippi-Mississippi State getting ready to do their thing. Uh, Jake, with regards to the game itself, is there any guy, maybe one guy for each team, that could be that guy who becomes sort of the breakout star? I mean, we've talked about the quarterbacks. There's some individuals everybody knows about, but it, it feels like in rivalry games, sometimes there's that guy that maybe the coaches have been holding back, that uh, that's when they sort of spring the trap that, hey, this guy's a lot better than we've let on the last week or two. Uh, anybody that springs to mind on either side of the ball for the two teams that, that might be a big contributor in this one? Yeah, I mean, let's start with Ole Miss. You look at Jonathan Mingo, a guy who's going to be back uh, in action, got some time last week. He's going to be healthy. He took an injury early, plays wide receiver for Ole Miss, and, and he's got an opportunity, I think, to come back and possibly have a big night. And then you look for Mississippi Lee Keith, who has come on same position at wide receiver. If he can continue to show the dominance that he showed down on the plains at Auburn, you know, both of these teams have really good wide receiver play, and I would expect to see a guy like Mingo 
or either Houston that could have a big moment on Thursday. Last thing for you, Jake, call your shot. What are we looking at? Who comes out of there holding the egg? You know, I, I liked Mississippi State early when we started breaking this thing down back, you know, all the conference stuff back in, in March. And I'm going to stick with Mississippi State 38-35 uh, in Starkville on Thursday night. Jake Wimberly, you can see him on Twitter. Jake Wim is the handle there. You can hear him on ESPN 105.9 in Afternoon Drive there in Jackson, Mississippi. Jake, enjoy the game, man. Thanks for being with us here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Have a happy Thanksgiving. And same to you. And, uh, again, all of us, uh, the uh, the Egg Bowl, a part of our Thanksgiving. And uh, around the country now, that game, I think, is one that people really do kind of sink their teeth into a little bit. You've seen enough kind of wild stuff happen and enough intensity attached to that game and, and sometimes some really big moments. Again, yeah, that, that last game, as it turned out for Dan Mullen in Starkville, remember his quarterback got injured in the first quarter of the game. And uh, Fitzgerald, I believe it was, was the quarterback that year. And yeah, he gets injured. It just changes the tone of everything. It just seems like there's normally – some really dramatic stuff that happens in this particular game. So we'll see what this year's version can deliver, but uh, certainly the resources are there for it to be really, really fun. While there's a lot of focus on the college football playoff committee and what they do in the high spots, there was one thing they did in the bottom part of the top 25 that we've got a little bit of a bone to pick with. We'll explain coming up. Heath Klein in for Chuck here on the Chuck Oliver Show. To the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Chuck Oliver Show rolls on. He's in for Chuck today. And last night we got the new college football playoff rankings. And while a lot of the attention is on the top, and understandably so, I also look at the bottoms of things and I say, you know what? I'm not sold on the committee's logic on some stuff here. And it does matter at times because the committee will use things like those last few spots to say, oh, this team or that team, they have so many top 25 wins and uh, that's why they're there. So that's how we've had things like Minnesota that had no business at all being in the top 25 get stuck in there when no one thought they belonged there. And they immediately got bounced out a week later because they didn't belong there in the first place. So we've seen some teams prop up by being put later in the top 25, maybe to help them justify what they're doing at the early part of things. But right now, there's one team in particular that the committee, for some reason, is really clearly underrating, and it needs to be addressed, and that's Clemson. When you think of Clemson this year, what do you think of? You probably think of them as a disappointment. I understand. They have not looked at all like the team that they were supposed to be this year. But they've lost three games. And these are the three games they've actually lost. They lost to the number one team by seven points. At the time, it seemed like a battle of titans. It turns out one team's markedly better than the other. But still, Clemson lost by seven to Georgia. That is increasingly, with week in, week out, proving hard to do to stay within seven of Georgia. It's not something that makes you say, if you you lost to Georgia by seven, you're the 23rd best team in the country. They went to double overtime against NC State. NC State is 20th, so maybe they feel like, oh, we got to keep them behind NC State because NC State did, after all, beat them in double overtime. Maybe. And then there's Pitt. They lost to Pitt by 10. Pitt is ranked 17th. So you have three losses, all to ranked teams, one on a neutral site, one in Pittsburgh, one in Raleigh. Um I don't look at that and say, boy, they got to be 23rd. And then I look at some of the teams who are ahead of them. 
Texas San Antonio is ahead of them. Now you can say, oh, well, Texas San Antonio is undefeated. You know, they should be. Okay, okay, fine. I don't think any of us in our right mind would pick Texas San Antonio to beat Clemson, but okay, they're undefeated. What about San Diego State? San Diego State is two spots ahead of them. You want to sign up to pick San Diego State over Clemson? Let's take a look back. Maybe San Diego State's been playing great ball lately. Maybe that's what leads them to think that. Hmm. Well, there's an eight-point win over UNLV. There's a two-point win over Nevada. There's a seven-point win over Hawaii. There's a 10-point loss to Fresno State, a six-point win over Air Force, a double overtime win over San Jose State. Stop me when you hear the impressive one. I mean, this is ridiculous. Yes, they beat Utah earlier this year. Triple overtime, San Diego State beat Utah. That's a perfectly good win. That's it. That's all they've got. You're telling me that because of that, they belong two spots ahead of Clemson? And one more example of just where I think, again, the committee is being uh, pretty unfair to Clemson here as to how they rank them. Wisconsin is currently in the top 15. Wisconsin has three losses just like Clemson. It's just that Wisconsin's losses were earlier in the season, so now we're moving Wisconsin up. But if you look at the quality of Wisconsin's wins versus the quality of what Clemson's got, I don't think that there's any way to justify those teams being 10 spots apart. I just think the committee, we we focus so much on the early stuff that the committee gets to skate on the fact that their work at the bottom part of the top 25, which you might say, who cares? But again, they use this stuff to justify how they make the moves at the start of this thing. Over and over, I think there's some pretty good evidence that the committee is not paying attention or they're they're manipulating it for their own purposes. But whichever way it is, I don't really care. They need to do a better job. And there's no excuse at this point in the season with who their three losses are for Clemson to be behind some of the teams they're behind. It's ridiculous. Meanwhile, let's tell you quickly about what's going on with college football championship matchups. And if you're saying, well, how can we have a college football championship matchup when we don't know who's even in the playoff yet? Well, Vegas is willing to get a little bit ahead of things. And so the folks at the Golden Nugget have put out lines for the games that right now could, in their mind, be the championship matchup. So at least right now, for January 10th, Georgia's favored over Alabama by three. Over Ohio State, should they match up by two? By 11 over Cincinnati and by nine over Michigan and by Notre Dame, nine and a half over Notre Dame. So that's what Vegas at least thinks would be the story for Georgia if they matched up with those teams. They did these for everybody. And when they put Notre Dame in this week as part of why I started to say, hey, look out, there's a really good chance Notre Dame is going to wind up making it in to this playoff. So those are Georgia's numbers. As for Alabama, you already know they would be a three-point underdog according to the Golden Nugget to Georgia, a one-point underdog if Ohio State and Alabama were to link up. Bama favored by eight according to Vegas over Cincinnati and by six over Michigan should that wind up being the matchup if it's Notre Dame they're also favored by six so that's the uh, for the two SEC teams that could be in this thing that's where their numbers come down but uh, Cincinnati I, I looked even though Notre Dame and Cincinnati played already Notre Dame would be favored if they played again in a neutral situation they'd be favored by two over Cincinnati. Cincinnati's a two-point underdog against Michigan. They're a nine-and-a-half-point underdog against Ohio State. So Cincinnati not getting much love from Vegas, even when we're talking about the game that they actually won. Uh, you can literally, if you're in Vegas, actually put money down on these things. They'll just refund you if, for whatever reason, the game doesn't wind up happening. I was surprised, though, with how dominant Georgia has been that still every single game that could be a championship matchup is is within a reasonable striking distance. I mean, you look at uh, Georgia and Cincinnati, I don't think many people 
would be hesitant at all to say, yeah, I think Georgia would take Cincinnati to the woodshed. Cincinnati has not played dominant football. Now, there's a difference between whether or not they deserve to be in and whether or not you think that they're going to do something when they get there. Cincinnati hasn't played dominant football until last week against SMU. They hadn't played dominant football in weeks. They'd found ways to win games. But this is not a team that's been able to dominate in the American. We all know what Georgia's been doing the last few weeks. You're telling me that Cincinnati, when they're playing one-possession games with teams in the American, is on a neutral field, going to stay within 11 of Georgia? Okay, that... I'm not saying I'm on a plane to Vegas right now because I'm not sure we're going to see that matchup in the championship game. But if you were willing to give me that same thing, Georgia 1 and Cincinnati 4, you're willing to give me that for the New Year's Day game? I think I'd sign up to take that ride. I think that's a pretty generous deal if that winds up being where this thing eventually goes. But again, we're going to have to wait and see what the committee does. I will be real interested, though, to see, especially this week, once we get down, there's only a few games left after this week. There's obviously the uh, last few games of the regular season. There's a couple of games that get played, but most of next week is the championship games. Their ability to manipulate stuff at the bottom of this thing, gets limited after this week. So I'll be real interested to see that bottom five to eight teams with this week's games. Do we see somebody that could help prop up, for example, uh, Notre Dame moving up? Do we see somebody hang in the top 25 that might help justify a move up for Notre Dame or a decision to keep an Alabama in? Because that's one of the things people talk about with Alabama right now is, you know, who is Alabama's best win? It's Ole Miss. After Ole Miss, Arkansas didn't drop very far. Uh, Doesn't Arkansas continue to maybe even move up a little bit to help justify if the committee wants to try and uh, possibly put Alabama in. Those are the kind of things that I'll be interested in, in keeping an eye on because after you get past the first dozen, the rest of them, they don't matter for selecting bowls. They don't matter for selecting the playoff, but they do matter. And uh, this committee chairman, we every committee chairman has a tough job, but Gary Barta in particular has just not been very effective at trying to explain the rationale for some of the choices that they make and and why they've made them. He needs either better PR coaching or something. I, I know Bruce Feldman's a pretty respected guy. Bruce Feldman of Fox uh, says that he thinks that's the problem, that he called the uh, PR director for the football playoff a stooge. They need to get him better prepared because he's going to be scrutinized these next two weeks in a way he hasn't been yet. He hasn't handled it real well so far. Headlines are coming up. Keep it right here. You're listening to The Chuck Oliver Show. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.